Welcome to the Seek Podcast. We are so glad you're here. I'm Erin Falbo, your host for this season. Each week, we're sharing content that dives into the heart of the gospel, who God is, who we are, and what it means to live in relationship with Him. We're excited to walk with you as you encounter the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Jesus, we love you. You are sufficient. You are enough. Give us the graces that we need to fix our eyes upon you, to gaze upon you day and night, and to imitate you in our walk toward eternity. We ask this prayer, Heavenly Father, through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. I am uh, so excited to be with with you all this morning. I've been praying for you and anticipating what the the Spirit wanted to say through me um, for, for your good. And just in prayer, I have so much to share. Uh, I go on an eight-day silent retreat every year, and uh, for the past two years, I've gone down to Miami, Florida with, with Mother Adela and the servants of the pierced hearts of Jesus and Mary, and on my last silent retreat, the, the Lord just invited me to just look at Jesus, to look at Jesus, to watch Jesus in his prayer, in his relationships, in his ministry. And the one thing that I I learned through just gazing upon Jesus Christ in the sacred scriptures is that Jesus Christ would pray all the time. He prayed in the morning. He prayed in the afternoon. He prayed in the evening. He prayed at night. He prayed all throughout the night. He prayed on his knees. He prayed while standing up. He prayed while sitting down. He prayed with, with scriptures. He recited spontaneous prayers. He did rote prayers. He prayed all the time. He talked to God. He sang to God. And he also prioritized intentional and consistent time of listening, of listening to God speak, the Father. And when God the Father spoke, what did he say to Jesus? Again and again and again. He would always say, you're my beloved. You are my beloved Son, and I delight in you. You're my beloved. Jesus Christ was rooted in taking time to go and be with his Father. And his his ministry, it came from the fruit of his prayer. It was his prayer that dictated all the decisions that he made throughout his journey to Jerusalem. It was prayer, his relationship with his Father. It wasn't anything or anyone else that dictated what Jesus Christ did. He he wasn't moved by fame. In the Gospel of of Mark, as soon as he began his active public ministry, people tried to make him famous, and he immediately went away. He immediately left the fame to go and be with the Father and pray and serve more people. He was not concerned with being famous. If somebody wants to be famous, if somebody wants to be seen, if we want to be noticed, we're going to burn out. Because we're not created for fame. We're created for a relationship with the Father. Jesus Christ was not, he wasn't moved by the approval of other people. The scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they did not approve of what he was doing. They did not understand his ministry. And he did not care because he did not do things to be seen and respected by them. It was all about him. 
the Father. His prayer, his relationship with the Father, that is what dictated every decision that Jesus Christ made in his journey to Jerusalem. He, he wasn't moved by, by fear. Martha, his good friend, she was upset because Mary was sitting at his feet and Mary wasn't helping him. And she said, Jesus, tell, tell my sister to get up and to help me. He could, he could have been nervous and he could have been scared. And he could have said, oh man, I don't want to lose this friendship. I don't want Martha to scream at me. I don't want Martha to be mad at Mary. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to operate out of fear. But no, he said, no, no Mary has chosen the better part. Regardless of how Martha is going to respond to this, Mary chose the better part. My father wants Mary to sit here at my feet. This is his will. This is his plan. This is his desire. He did not allow power to motivate him. The devil, whenever Jesus Christ went to go and pray in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights, he prayed, he fasted. The devil tried to tempt him with power. Jesus Christ was not concerned with power. He didn't need to have that place. He was content with being the father's beloved son. For Jesus it was his relationship with his father that dictated everything that he did. And you and I, who are we? We are the body of Jesus Christ today. How many of y'all grew up with those wristbands that said WWJD? All right, show of hands. How many of y'all are still wearing those wristbands? Let me see a show of hands. Take them off right now. <laughs> Why? Because it's not about what would Jesus do. It should be W-I-J-D. What is Jesus doing? Because by virtue of your baptism, you have become the body of Jesus Christ. You are an extension of the life of Jesus Christ. Therefore, you and I, we ought to be imitating Christ in our prayer, in our relationships, in our ministry, in what we choose to say yes to and who we choose to say no to as well. Jesus Christ daily would reorient his attention to the Father in his exclusive mission. His only plan and desire was to glorify the Father. That is what he wanted to do exclusively. I came to glorify the Father and to share his word. He tells us in John 17, right before his passion and death, he says, Father, I have glorified you. I gave them your word. Does that mean that Jesus Christ saw a lot of visible fruit in his ministry? No. Like, look at the ministry of Jesus. He did not see a lot of visible fruit. Okay, yeah, he fed the, the 5,000 people after he multiplied the loaves and the fish. But, but what happened? A lot of those people who were walking with Jesus, whenever he gave the Bread of Life discourse, what did they do? They walked away. He did not see a lot of visible fruit. They walked away. The 12 apostles who he invested life with, he taught them how to pray. He spent time with them. He went to parties with them. He was their friend. What happened when they were in the garden? Each one of them abandoned Jesus, even John. They all abandoned. John came back, but they all abandoned Jesus. Thomas doubted Jesus. Judas betrayed Jesus. Peter denied Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. Did not see a lot of visible fruit. But, but Jesus Christ wasn't concerned with seeing the visible fruit. That's not why he did what he did. He did what he did to glorify his father, who delighted in him, who was pleased with him, who loved him. He went to share the word. Regardless of whether or not the word was going to be received or not, he shared the words that he got from his father. He says in the Gospel of John, I only say what I heard my father say. Where? In prayer. 
I, I do what I see my Father doing. Where? In prayer. That is how Jesus Christ operated. And so his mission, glorify my dad, shares word. Why, why do we burn out? The reason why we, we burn out is because for many of us, yeah, we want to glorify the Father. We do. That's part of the plan. I'm going to glorify my Father in this mission. I'm going to glorify the Lord in my Bible studies or in the retreats or in the work I'm doing on campus or in the school. And yeah, I'm going to share his word. But also, I, I want to be noticed. I, I, I want to be affirmed. I, I want to be seen. I want to be respected for the time and the energy and the effort I put into the Bible study or into the retreat or into the mission trip. I want people to respect me and have esteem for me. We, we, we want to glorify the Father. We, we, we want to share his word. But for many of us, our intentions are not pure. The, the heart has been tainted. It, it is not just about doing what Jesus Christ did then. It's also about seeking something else also for my myself. And if I'm seeking anything outside of glorifying the Father and sharing his word, I'm going to burn out because I'm going to start to grasp. And I'm going to start to long. And I'm going to start to want to possess all these other things that God never promised us as disciples of Jesus Christ. There is freedom. There is freedom that comes from making a complete gift of ourself for the good of others without expecting anything for ourselves in return, without wanting anything for ourselves in return. I don't need that. All I need is, is God. To illustrate this, uh, a number of years ago, before I was ordained, it was about, I think, 11, 11 years ago or 12 years ago, I did hospital ministry in, in Houston, Texas. And while I was in the hospital, um, I, I had some of the most amazing experiences and some of the most heartbreaking experiences and also some of the most awkward experiences. One of the awkward experiences I had uh, was when I was working in the ER. I would wear my clerics and I'd go and visit patients and I'd offer to, to listen to their stories and to, to pray with them, to bring them communion if they hadn't been to Mass in a while. And I was visiting one particular room and, and there was this the most adorable looking little girl in this room. And, and so I like, I kind of knelt down and talked to her like this. And, and so we're, we're talking and, and I asked if I can pray with her. And she says, yes. And so I pray over her. And then after I get done praying over her, she, she looks at me with all seriousness and she says, you're cute. <laughs> and she's like, she was like this adorable looking little girl. And I said, oh, and aren't you the most adorable little thing? How old are you? And she said, I'm 22. I was like, oh, so you're not that adorable. Um, I'm, I'm not that cute. And um, so I just, I, I awkwardly walked at the room and for the rest of the week, she would find an excuse to come back to the hospital in the ER to visit with me. And it was extremely awkward. Uh, <laughs> but she needed Jesus too. Uh, but one of the powerful experiences that I had that, that taught me how to make an authentic gift of self, and I'm still learning this. I, I'm not there yet. I still struggle. I'm not perfect. Um, but daily in the hospital, I would, I would encounter couples or family members who had loved ones who were in a coma. They're, they're in the hospital. They're, they're in a coma. 
They're not able to communicate. They're not able to talk. They're not able to laugh at the jokes that maybe they used to laugh at. They're not able to interact with them. But daily, these wives would go and sit with their husbands. And these sons would go and sit with their mothers. And these brothers would go and sit with their sisters for hours. They would show up every single day. Every single day they would show up and they would sit with them and they would hold their hand and they would comb their hair and wash their face. And I don't know if their, if their spouse maybe was a great cook in the past, but their, their spouse wasn't able to cook for them anymore, but they weren't coming to be cooked for. I don't know if their sibling was really funny in the past, but their, their brother or sister wasn't able to tell the jokes anymore. I don't know what the personalities were like in the past, but they didn't come to, to get anything from their loved one. Their exclusive intention was just to be with them. Why? Because they loved them. So they sat there. And so after I would witness this daily, I would always go back to the, the chapel and I would sit before the crucifix and I, I could perceive in prayer, and I say the word perceive because I'm not infallible. My prayer is not infallible. I'm not always inspired by the Holy Spirit. I could be wrong when I pray. Um, but I, I did perceive. I perceived Jesus speak to me when I was sitting in prayer before the, the crucified Lord. And I would perceive him ask me, Josh, if I was in a coma, would you still come to me? Would you still show up to prayer your holy hour? Would you still read scripture if I no longer spoke to you the way they don't speak to their loved ones? Or, or do you only come to get consolation? Do you only come to me for the, the insights? Are you only coming for the feelings? Are you only coming for the experiences? Like, if I no longer looked at you and, and spoke to you again, if my eyes were closed, would you still show up to me to love me? Do you love me for me or for what you get out of it? Do you seek me for me or do you seek me because you get things? Would you come to be with me for me? And, and depending on the day, I'll be honest, sometimes I would say, yes, Jesus, you're sufficient. I love you. You're enough. And other days I'll say, God, I'm just so weak. I, 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 need, I need the spiritual candy. Please, like, don't take the consolation away from me. But at the end of my summer doing that ministry, I told the Lord, okay, God, you're it. I love you for you. And I promise you, I will come to you for you. Whether I can feel anything, whether I can get anything out of it, I'm coming just for you now. It's not about me. It's for you. And immediately, dryness and prayer. Immediately, darkness. And this, this darkness and this dryness, it didn't last for just like a week or two weeks. It wasn't just a, a month. It went on for an entire year. And it was, it was the most painful year of my life with regards to my relationship with the Lord. I love theology. I love the study. But when I, when I went back to seminary, class was just dull. My friendships were blah. Prayer was dry. But it was, it was in this experience that I learned how to love well, to, to show up to prayer, not to get stuff from God, but just to be with God. 
to be friends with people, not because of what they can do for me, but just to be friends with people for their good, to study theology, not so I could be super smart or get validatory in our pseudo cum laude, but just to study the word of God and the teachings of the church for the good of the church. It was the most freeing year of my life. When I did ministry, I didn't seek anything from the people I was serving. It was all about going out of myself for the good of other people. If we want to avoid burnout, this is the freedom that God wants us to enter into, is to do the mission exclusively for love of God and nothing for myself, to love gratuitously and not to be self-seeking. So how do we do this? How do we, how do we get to a place where we're able to pour ourselves out for the mission without burning ourselves out? How do we imitate Jesus and not allow fame or fear or the approval or the opinions of others to dictate our decisions that we make? I want to propose that it's by being rooted in the Beatitudes. One of the Beatitudes that the Lord has invited me to sit with in this season of my priesthood that I want to share with you is the Beatitude, blessed, blessed are the pure of heart. This beatitude is foundational. If we want to be able to participate in the missions that God invites us to share in without burning out, without losing our vocation, without falling away from our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed are the pure of heart. I think we could really translate that to say, blessed are those who have pure intentions. What are your intentions? What are my intentions? If our hearts are not pure, if our intentions are not pure, then we're going to burn out. Why? Because if I'm seeking anything for myself, then I'm not imitating Jesus, who abides in relationship with us by virtue of our baptism. If I'm self-seeking, I, I want to do this Bible study because I, I want to see the fruit. I want to see visible fruit. I, I want to be noticed by my pastor. I, I want to be affirmed by other people. That's self-seeking. That's about me. It's no longer about the kingdom. It's no longer about glorifying the Father. It's no longer about just doing the will of the, the Lord and sharing the word of God, planting the seeds and not being concerned with what happens. No, now it's about, it's about me now. God never promised us. He never promised us that when we said yes to following him, that if we're faithful to prayer and fasting and almsgiving, if we're living in the sacramental life of the church, he never promised us that we're going we're gonna to see visible fruit. So if that's what I'm grasping after, then I'm grasping after something that is not biblical. The word visible is not in Scripture. He says, go and bear fruit. Whenever we add a word in Scripture, we're doing what Eve did in the garden. Remember when the, the, the enemy, he went up to Eve and he said, did God really say that you can't? You can't eat of the, the fruit of the tree. And what did Eve say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. God said we can't eat of the fruit of the tree and also we can't even touch it. Okay, question. Did God say they can't touch it? No, MC Hammer said that. Not God. It's true. He did say that MC Hammer is not God. God never said you can't touch the tree. He said you cannot eat of it. So she gave this extra command. And oftentimes we do things because we believe it's the word of God, but it's not the word of God. St. Charles de Foucault, he's a, a saint who I've grown close to. 
he uh, had a conversion after being an atheist and agnostic and, and living a very wild lifestyle. He was wounded. His parents died when he was a kid. But after he encountered a group of Muslims who were devout in their faith, he was inspired by their, their devotion to their religion. And so it motivated him to, to check out the religion he grew up in, the Catholic Church. And so after he began to study the teachings of the church, he had an encounter with the priest and repented of his sins, believed in the gospel, and felt the call to become a priest. And after a few failed attempts at different religious orders, different monasteries, he finally found a place that was a home for him that formed him, where he grew and matured in relationship with the Lord. And then because he was in relationship with the Lord, he perceived the Lord invite him to, to go out to, to Saudi Arabia to offer hospitality and friendship to the Muslims in hopes that because of his friendship that maybe they would, maybe they would want to give the Catholic Church a chance. Maybe they would be open to receiving the gift of the sacraments. And so he goes to Saudi Arabia and he prays daily. He's rooted and disciplined in the interior life. He fasts weekly. He gives alms to the poor. He's available to his people. He's faithful to the mission that he perceived from the Father in prayer. And does he see any visible fruit? No. Did you know that not one person joined his religious order that he founded? And, and not one Muslim came into the sacramental life of the church? And then eventually, a, a group of Muslims ended up killing him. And so people would look at his life and they would say, man, like that dude there, like he clearly discerned wrong. But a decade after he passed away, hundreds of people joined his religious order that he founded. And thousands of Muslims came into the Catholic Church because he was faithful to the mission. He had a pure heart. He wasn't self-seeking. It wasn't about him. He wasn't grasping after visible things. He wasn't grasping after numbers. He wasn't grasping after approval from other people, our attention, our fame, our power. He was just trying to do the plan of God. It was simple. God is inviting us to cultivate this, this virtue to be pure in our hearts, to have the intention of, I, Lord, I just want to share your word. This is not about me. If I am rejected, if I am misunderstood, it is okay. But too often, that's not how we operate if we're honest with ourselves. In the Old Testament, it talks about the, the fall of Satan, I believe, in the, the book of the prophet Isaiah. And it says, in his heart, in his heart, he wanted to be like God. And I find that to be true for many of us. In my heart, am I really, am I really seeking only the plan of God? Or is there anything in there that I'm seeking for myself? How do we get to a place where our hearts can be pure, where our intentions can be pure and not motivated by anything or anyone else? Was well, by cultivating the first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit aren't necessarily broke. They're not necessarily homeless. To, to be poor in spirit means God is enough for me. Jesus Christ really is sufficient. The Father, his plan is my everything. I don't need God and this friendship. I don't need God and 
this ministry. I don't need God and this ministry being successful. I don't need God and visible fruit. I don't need God and attention. I don't need God and a place at the table. I don't need God and esteem or respect or power or anything. All I need and all, in fact, I want, all I want is God. God is enough. That, that is poverty in spirit. I am sufficient in my relationship with the Lord and the plan of the Lord for me to glorify my Father by sharing his word. And whatever comes from that is irrelevant. I don't need anything outside of to do what my Father sent me here to do. Poverty of heart. Where does this come from? Where do we cultivate poverty and purity? Was in prayer. In prayer. We must be rooted in daily prayer. Jesus Christ the Son of God, the second person of the Most Holy Trinity, was extremely busy. People demanded much of him. They wanted his time. They wanted him as a friend. They wanted to be around him. And yet, still, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, always made time to pray. If we are too busy to pray, then Mother Teresa says we are too busy. We must be rooted in daily encounters with God in prayer, not experiences where we're going to feel God's presence or we're going to have insights or profound encounters, but just cultivating the daily relationship with the Lord. This is where the beatitudes, the virtues, the dispositions of the Lord Jesus Christ will arise in our hearts from. The fruit of adoration is imitation. The more time we spend looking at the Lord, being with the Lord, the more we're going to be able to imitate the Lord. And so how then can we cultivate that which was most important to Jesus? Prayer. And it's important for us too because in the gospel he says, when you pray. Notice the language. He does not say if you pray. Prayer is not optional for disciples. When you pray. So when we pray. I want to invite us to to cultivate what I call the, the five W's. I, I've been using these five W's since I, I was a deacon, and I, I've seen it help a lot of people exponentially grow and mature in their relationship with the Lord. How many W's are there? Five. Great. You guys are doing so good. So good. You're so adorable. All right. But don't call me cute. Um, five W's. So when... Where, what, who, and why. When, where, what, who, and why. Every Sunday, I want to encourage us to look at our calendar and ask the question, when can I spend time with Jesus Christ? On Sunday, and on Monday, and on Tuesday, and on Wednesday, and on Thursday, on Friday, on Saturday, when? When can I be with God? Put the Lord on the calendar. That which is most important to us is on the calendar. We put anniversaries on the calendar. We put birthdays on the calendar. We put this event, this conference on our calendar. It was important for us to prioritize being here. We need to put God on our calendar. We cannot pray at all times unless we pray at some specific time. So when? When can I spend time with Jesus? The, the great saints, they always encourage early in the morning. Again, 
Christ prayed morning, afternoon, evening, and night. He prayed all the time. But many of the saints encourage the morning. Why? Because the morning is the least interrupted time of the day. If, if I were to say, I'm going to commit to, to my, my main prayer time always being in the afternoon, what can happen? Unexpected events come up. I didn't intend for this encounter to happen. I didn't intend for this person to need me, but yet they do. So guess what I can't do now? I can't pray. Because I can't pray, I can't be with Jesus. So now I'm not going to imitate the Lord. If, if I say I'm going to pray in the evening, the, the issue with the evening is by, by that time of the day, maybe I've had dramatic encounters. Maybe I've made some mistakes or some people have rubbed me the wrong way. And so instead of going into prayer and imitating Jesus and looking at my father and watching my father and listening to my father, I'm now navel-gazing about that conversation and how bad it went and what, what I could have said or, or should have said or, or would have said if it would have went any other way. No. Or, or if I say I'm going to wait till late in the night to, to, to pray, to cultivate my relationship with the Lord, well, I might get tired. And, and fall asleep. And so I'm not very attentive. So many of the great saints, they say, give the Lord your first, first fruits. Like the Lord wants our best. And for many of us, not all of us, for some of us, the afternoon and evening might be our best, but for many of us, our best time will be early in the morning. In the Old, Old Testament, there's a book from the prophet Malachi. <laughs> and in Malachi, he talks about the, the first fruits that the, the Lord wants from his priests as they were offering the sacrifices. And the priests began to notice that they could offer up a sacrifice uh, that was lame, uh, uh, an animal that they didn't need anymore, an animal that they didn't want to use anymore. And so instead of giving God their best animals, they gave God their worst. And you know what God said to the prophet? God said, oh, you my priest. He said, it would be better if I put dung on your foreheads than for you to offer up those sacrifices. And I believe the Lord doesn't want to put dung on our foreheads, to <laughs> be clear. <laughs> but I believe he wants our first fruits, just like he wanted the first fruits of the priest. We can give God our best, at least interrupt the time of the day. So put it on the, on the calendar. Like I'm, I'm going to wake up 30 minutes early if I have to to give God this time so I can do what Jesus did and I too can, can look at the Lord. Jesus Christ is the image of the Father. So if I'm looking at the Lord in Scripture, I'm able to see my Father in Christ Jesus. So when, when will I pray? 5.30 to 6 a.m. Where? Where am I going to pray? Well, you can certainly pray in an adoration chapel or in a church by a tabernacle, but you can also pray anywhere. Like make a place in your home that is conducive to encounter God, to grow in a relationship with the Lord, to be available to the Lord to understand what his will might be for us. Where am I going to pray? I'm going to pray in my living room from 5.30 to 6 a.m. What am I going to do whenever I pray? What am I going to do? Well, the, the church invites all of us to, to pray Lexio Divina with the sacred scriptures. That's the normative way of prayer for priests and for nuns and for the laity, for all of us. I'm going to pray with the Word of God. Why the Word of God? Because the Word of God, this right here is the voice of God. Ignorance of Scripture is ignorance of Christ. If I don't pray with the Bible, I will not know Jesus Christ. I will make up my own God in my head, as opposed to the God who reveals himself to me and you in his Word. So I'm going to take Scripture, and I'm, I'm going to read the, the Gospels, the life of Jesus. What do they say? I'm going to meditate on the Gospels. Well, what, what stands out to me? I'm going to have a conversation with God about this. 
And when I have this conversation with God, I'm going to literally have the conversation out loud. I'm going to talk to God the way I'm talking to you. Why am I talking out loud when I'm praying? Because when we talk out loud, we know who we're talking to and what we're talking about. And St. Teresa of Avila, the great doctor of the church, says, for prayer to be authentic, we must know who we're talking to and what we're talking about. Now, what if you have roommates or a spouse? Is it appropriate to, to talk out loud while you're praying then? Probably not. Why? It might be distracting. When I was in, in seminary, we had a, another seminarian, and every time he received communion, at the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, he would come back to our, our pew and kneel down, and he would do vocal prayer out loud, and he would say, oh, Jesus, I love you so much. Oh, God, you are so good. And I, I was really happy for him. Um, but I was like, bruh, like, hush. Because I love Jesus, too, and, like, communion is a very intimate time for me as well, and I can't focus on Jesus because I'm hearing you. So if other people in the room don't be that person that's in Adoration Chapel doing Hail Mary full of grace. Like, don't, don't, be that, don't be that dude, all right? So how do we do vocal prayer then so we can stay attentive to the conversation? St. Teresa of Avila encouraged us to write it out, to write down the scripture that we're reading, to write down what it says to me, to write down what I'm saying to God, to write down the experience. So we read the word, we meditate, we talk to God, we sit with the word, right? we apply Lexio Divina to the scripture daily. Primacy of scripture in our prayer with the rosary. Primacy of scripture in adoration. Primacy of scripture wherever we're at. Who? Who's going to hold me accountable? We, we all need to find somebody who can hold us accountable to our relationship with God. How many of us have ever made a, a New Year's resolution and we broke it within like two days? Few of us? All right. How many of us have ever made a, a Lenten penance and we, we broke it within like two weeks? Right. Okay, why do we do this? Because we're doing it by ourselves. We need a brother or a sister to hold us accountable, somebody that can check on us, somebody that can walk with us, a friend who can call me, beat me, if you want to reach me, Kim Possible, uh, to help us, ADD. It's Jesus loves me. Um, I'm his son. But we need someone who can check on us as well to hold us accountable to prayer. And why am I doing this? Why? Well, because... I don't want to burn out. I, I want the, the Beatitudes to grow in my heart. I want to fall in love with God so much that God is sufficient, that God is all I need. And if God is all I need and God is all I have and God is all I want, then I don't need all these other goods. I don't need affirmation. If I get it, that's cool. I don't need a, a, a platform. If I have it, praise God. I, I don't need fame. If it comes, it's whatever. But I'm not seeking that. I'm seeking God. Everything else is land yet. This only happens whenever we are rooted in relationship with the Lord. We can do it, go to practical workshops about burnout and about how to say no and about how to do a calendar all day long, but at the end of the day, it all comes down to our prayer or lack thereof. The Lord Jesus Christ is inviting all of us to reorient our attention to him, to look at him, to imitate him. And if we imitate Jesus Christ, then we too will have clarity in our mission we will have clarity in the vision, the plan that he has for us. And, and we, we too will be able to allow the Father's love, his delight in glorifying him to be the determining factor in every single decision that we choose to make or not to make in our walk toward eternity. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, all glory be to the Father and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, 
as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thank you. Thanks for listening, friends. To hear more content from speakers like this, join us for Seek 24 in St. Louis, January 1st through the 5th. Visit seek.focus.org to learn more.